Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, inspire our hearts and cleanse our thoughts, that when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again, he may find in us a mansion who prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you and the Father, one God, world without end. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we read that Jesus entered into and was passing through Jericho. And it seems there's a funny thing that happens in that ancient city of Jericho. It seems that every time God shows up in Jericho, the walls know exactly what to do. When Joshua and the Israelites marched around the city, the walls came down. As Jesus was making his way into Jericho, we read just a chapter or two before, he met a blind beggar sitting on the roadside. And when Jesus spoke to that blind beggar, the walls of blindness came down and the man could see. Today, the walls come down for Zacchaeus. As Jesus goes through Jericho, a crowd gathers around him And yes, a wee little man named Zacchaeus climbs a sycamore tree to see him. Do we need to get the song out of our head? I suspect it will be with you for the rest of the day now. Zacchaeus, oh, sorry. Now, unlike last week, this isn't a parable about an imaginary tax collector. This is the real deal. And Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. And so he's part of the problem. But because he's a Jew, an Israelite, he's supposed to be part of the answer. As a Jew, he's supposed to be a light to the nations, an ambassador to the nations of the one true and living God. But as the chief tax collector, he's gathering hard-earned Jewish money and he's giving it to the hated pagan Roman Empire. And by the way, he's pocketing some for himself along the way because that's what tax collectors did from time to time. But before we judge Zacchaeus too harshly, let us remember that he is us. As Christians, we are called by God to be part of the answer to the problems in this world, but when we sin, when we sin, we become part of the very problems that we're supposed to be preventing. So where does that sordid mess leave us? Hopefully, it leaves us also like Zacchaeus, looking to Jesus for answers and letting him tear down any walls that might be in our hearts. It's significant, of course, that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus for himself. Now, we don't know if Zacchaeus already knew anything about Jesus. The Bible simply doesn't tell us. But the important thing we do know is this, that Zacchaeus put himself in a position to see Jesus clearly. Not through the forest of the trees or the crowds, but he climbed the sycamore tree so he could plainly see Jesus for himself. And that is a great start. Curiosity about Jesus is always a good thing. 
But as the story unfolds, something else happens. It turns out that Jesus also wants to see Zacchaeus. And more than just see him from afar through a crowd, Jesus wants to come into Zacchaeus' home. And this, my friends, is where the story gets very interesting and very powerful and very good. So let's stay here for a minute. I don't know if you've ever noticed this little detail in this interchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus, but we don't really know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus when he first came into his home. It simply doesn't say. Imagine it for yourself. Imagine Jesus in your home. What might he first say? Or perhaps it's possible that Jesus didn't say anything to Zacchaeus at all. We don't know. To be fair to the text, we have to think of it both ways, though I suspect he probably said something to him. But what we do know with absolute certainty is the result, and we know that the result is good. You see, whatever it is that happened between Jesus and Zacchaeus on that day, it caused Zacchaeus to cry out with joy. He said, behold, Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I pay it back to them fourfold. And I ask you, who does that? Who does that? Who is the one that is willing to make restitution by giving it back four times over what they took? Who is the one that willingly gives half of his goods to the poor? Who are the ones who so show such radical, sacrificial, joyful, and generous love to the world? Who act as if the very things they have in their possession are a means, are signs and symbols to manifest the kingdom of God among them? The answer, I think you know, are the ones who've been touched by Jesus. The ones, in other words, according to this story, who allowed Jesus into their homes and then they invite Jesus into their hearts. These are the ones who hear Jesus say, Today salvation has come to this household. Why? Because the walls in their hearts came tumbling down, and just like that, a sinner becomes a saint. And through this story, I can't help but wonder, what about today? What about us? What is it that God wants to do in his church here at Christ the Redeemer? What is it that God wants to do in us and through us and among us to manifest his goodness and his grace and his glory to the people around us? In a world where greed and gluttony are held up as virtues rather than the vices that they are, where people are inclined to grab all of they can because they believe that this life is all you get, we Christians can shine the light of God's love through the gift of generosity. And what inspired Zacchaeus to give generously and what inspires us to give generously 
is when we see how God has so generously and graciously given himself to us. Isn't that what Jesus was doing in Zacchaeus' house this morning? He was giving himself. The Son of God was giving himself to Zacchaeus. Think about the ways that God has given himself to us. We all are tempted to take these things for granted. The goodness of creation. Think of the food you and I are blessed to eat every single day. The choices we have in our grocery stores around us. The clothing and the clothing stores that literally are all over the place. The shelter, the transportation, the means of education, and so many other blessings of life. That's just one way God has given himself to us. But there's more. There's grace. The forgiveness of our sins that sets us free. And through the forgiveness of our sins, the hope of everlasting life that we don't have to end our lives in death. But that by the merits and mercies of Jesus, we can go on and on and on with him for all of eternity. And this is the third manifestation of God among us, the hope of glory, preparing a place for us in all of eternity where we can dwell with him in peace and in love and life. And those are the things that will rule the day. Doesn't that sound good? What a generous God we serve. What a generous God we serve. So the powerful and inspirational example that Zacchaeus sets for us today is that he became what the Bible calls a cheerful giver. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, Don't let anything I ever say to you cause a spirit of compulsion to come into your hearts on anything, but especially where it concerns giving. Not reluctantly, nor out of compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. What caused Zacchaeus to become a cheerful giver again is that he let Jesus into his home and he let him into his heart. And when he did, he began to show the same kind of mercy to others that Jesus had shown to him because in the end, my friends, what Jesus is really after is our hearts. Our hearts. I suppose it wouldn't be a stewardship campaign if I didn't say it. Our our finances follow our faith, right? Our finances follow our faith. If we trust ourselves, we'll hoard for ourselves and we'll live for ourselves. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ because of his generosity toward us, our finances tend to follow that path. So when we talk about cheerful giving, let me close by encouraging us in these ways. What a joy these first 15 years have been for us together. And let me be the first to say, I thank you for it. 
This labor of love from our humble beginnings at Lockheed Martin, you know the story with a disco ball and a trailer. Think back to those early days, and for those of you who are newer to our congregation, let me invite you into them. Every single Sunday, we set up our worship service out of the back of a trailer. That was, all we, that was the only property we had was a trailer. And we saved our money judiciously. Why? So we could invest it in mission locally, regionally, internationally, setting up the biblical principle from the beginning that 10% of everything that comes in our door immediately goes out to the local mission field, the regional, and the international mission field. And then, as you know, we took this giant leap of faith to come to our shopping center home. Here's the interesting point about that. I kid you not, ask those who were there, we literally didn't know if we had the finances to pull it off. We didn't know. The only thing that we did know was that God was moving us out of Lockheed Martin Recreational Association. Why? Because they tore it down. That's the only thing we knew. We can't worship here anymore. God's got to have something else in mind for us. And Here we are. And now developing our staff and our structure, especially to disciple our children and our youth, but also for all of us, and now expanding our reach to college students and to young adults. Think about how intentional and how important that structure is. Who is it that's asking the questions of life? It is the next generation. What do we have to do that's absolutely non-negotiable? Tell them the truth. The truth of God's love, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his redemption, his desire to be in relationship with us, and through him the hope of everlasting life in him. Not to mention strengthening our music program and our technological support, all so that we can keep growing into what God would have us become, a city on a hill in southwest Fort Worth and a beacon of light to the world. So now, as we consider together on this day, what can we do now? What's God asking of us right now? How does God want to use us now to tear down the walls of sin and death in the world around us? And as we take up these kinds of questions in the context of this year's stewardship campaign, my friends, I would only ask one thing of you, and I truly mean this. Be like Zacchaeus. And what I mean by that is this. Do what Zacchaeus did. Allow Jesus into your home. Invite Jesus into your heart. In other words, be in close proximity to Jesus. And as the Bible says, be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God. Ask him to give us that cheerful spirit that delights to give to others even as he has given himself to us and as we do these things then we will know exactly what to do in reply exactly how to respond with our time with our talent and with our treasure just like Zacchaeus for as the Bible says each one must give as he and she has decided in his or her heart Not reluctantly, 
not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver.